as we all learned from Dungeons and Dragons, you never split the party. Only bad <laughs> things happen. Or Scooby-Doo. <laughs> or Scooby-Doo, yes. <laughs> Although that is when Great you find example. the bad guy. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 26, Signposts. The epigraph of this chapter is just speaking on magic again. It starts out with saying, The riches of one region are taken for granted in another. So it goes on to uh, describe basically like, Things that are in abundance in one area are not in abundance and regarded as luxuries in another and vice versa. And all of this kind of accumulates in, again, presumed fits from the future, (laughs) (laughs) saying he has seen all of those in such plentiful supply that the folk who possess them no longer see them as wealth. So perhaps in sufficient quantity, magic becomes ordinary. Instead of a thing of wonder and awe, it becomes the stuff of roadbeds and signposts used with a prolificacy that astounds those who have it not, which is kind of what we were talking about last episode in discussing why the road was made or anything like that. And I had said something around around the along the lines of this might have just been a commonplace road kind of thing. Right. Because it was so inundated with magic and skill in Kelsingra and the area around it. Obviously, there's also something a little bit special about it because it's the only road we see of its kind. Right. But in general, that's the hint that I'm kind of getting from the beginning of this chapter. Yeah. That maybe it just magic was so abundant that it makes sense to use it for everything. And especially coming from somebody from the duchy's perspective, where magic is the secret, sacred thing that nobody gets to know about. And if it's outside of the farseer's approved magic, it's looked down upon. So that's a very interesting takeaway and way to look at things mm-hmm. yeah, in general. Definitely. So we continue on with... Fitz's and his companions trek along this road, the skill road, where he has been distracted and slipping in and out of these skill dreams while he's still awake and walking around, floating along this skill river that is just attached to the road here, and trying everyone else trying to snap him out of it consistently. And so they are concluding a day of walking along this road. They find a camp, set that up, and Ketrikin is looking at the map, consulting it, and asks Fitz to help her out a little bit, or at least tells him what's going on with this. She says, by tomorrow, if the road keeps climbing and the slopes get steeper, you won't be able to keep pace with us. We'll be leaving the trees behind us by evening tomorrow. The country is going to be bare, steep, and rocky. We should take firewood with us now, as much as the Jeppos can easily carry. We may have to slow our pace to allow you to match us. So they are heading deeper and deeper into the mountains. They are 
crossing this mountain range or at least going into the mountain range that is ahead right. of them. And Ketrickin's concern here is that with Fitz being pretty much out of sight of the road, walking alongside of it and paralleling it, he is going to fall behind because of the terrain. Fitz promises that he'll keep up and eventually has to... It comes to the conclusion with Ketrickin that he might have to join the road and walk along with them, and he just... In his Fitz way, saying, like, I'll handle, like, it'll be done. I'll handle it. I'll have to do what I have to do. Right. And to be fair to Fitz, he does not know, I believe, that this is heading towards basically the mountainside that the, or a cliff edge that he doesn't know that's where they're going to be walking. So it's really easy right now with trees everywhere and just, like, an inconvenient path to be like, oh, sure, it'll be weird, but I, I'll make it. And Ketrickin's looking at the map like... No, no, probably not. (laughs) That night, Kettle once again lays out the game cloth because he did not help have help from Night Eyes or because Night Eyes didn't even find the answer himself. He could not solve the problem that she had laid out to him beforehand. And so he thinks on it again. And the next morning they continue on. Right. It's interesting because it seems like these strategies are something that is somewhat of a pattern that you're supposed to be able to pick up over time. Kettle is saying, you know, we'll play regular games while you think on this puzzle, but keep it in your mind because maybe you'll see, you know, what they're, what you're missing. And he doesn't because it's fits. <laughs> but also it's a hard puzzle and mm-hmm. a new game. Definitely. There are, you know, websites for learning or playing chess, uh, and they have puzzles on those, so I kind of equate that in my mind. It's, they set up a board for you. You have to make, you know, two moves, and you can get a checkmate or do some sort of task, and you kind of have to think through those moves. And I, I just kind of pictured my head that that's what he's doing, except it's advanced techniques for a game he has never played until like four days ago. So <laughs> right, yeah, difficult, difficult task, but. He's trying. He got help for the first one. (laughs) (laughs) So the next day, he is trying to keep pace alongside that road again, walking parallel to it. And Starling is his companion, who is once again asking a bunch of questions about the fool. Fitz goes back to his previous routine of kind of deflecting and saying non-committal answers or not divulging any information, or he doesn't even know the answers to those questions and is just kind of brushing them aside. I had expected her to weary of this game, but she was as tenacious as a bulldog. Finally, I rounded on her in exasperation and demanded to know exactly what it was about him that fascinated her so. A strange look came to her face, as one who steals oneself to a dare. She started to speak, paused, and then could not resist. Her eyes were avid on my face as she announced, The fool is a woman, and she is in love with you. For a moment, it was as if she had spoken in a foreign language. I stood looking down on her and trying to puzzle out what she had meant. Had she not begun to laugh, I might have thought of a reply, but something in her laughter offended me so deeply that I turned my back on her and continued making my way across the steep slope. You're blushing, she called from behind me. Merriment choked her voice. I can tell from the back of your neck. All these years and you never even knew? Never even suspected? I think it's a ridiculous idea, I said without even looking back. Really? 
What part of it? All of it, I said coldly. Tell me you absolutely know that I'm wrong. I didn't dignify her taunt with an answer. So Fitz gets that confrontation, I guess, or at least Starling's revelation of what <laughs> the fool is about. Yeah, it's first of all, the first time I think he has thought about the fool in a capacity to having feelings for him. But also, I'm sure he is on edge in general because this is Starling and she did not have a very good start with the fool. And is this some sort of mean joke? And it's really interesting, I think, that his reaction to her laughing and saying this is anger because I I can't quite tell where the anger is placed. If the anger is at Starling for what Fitz is perceiving as a slight to his friend or an anger at feeling like maybe Starling is right. I don't know. I think it's. I, I felt it was more like a growing anger at her laughing and not the initial reaction he had that's how i got it i thought it was like the blushing and stuff was felt to me more like i don't know either embarrassment or like not knowing how to deal with the situation right because well fair he wouldn't know how to deal with that and it would be a confusing situation to begin with but her continuing to laugh and say like you didn't even know wow and and it says here that I know she was I know she knew I was getting angry because she was laughing. And she's like continues to laugh like as he's as she's following him. Right. So I feel like he was getting more and more angry at that and she kept like laughing because he was getting angry. I guess. That's, I don't know. That's how I read it at least. I just feel like it's such a weird like so what if she's laughing? She thinks this situation is funny. And maybe Maybe it's just a knee-jerk reaction because he's been made fun of his whole life. And so, like, yeah, when he true. feels like somebody's laughing at him, like... I don't, but I did notice that this chapter has a lot of anger. And it's very, like... It does, I don't yeah. know. Not, I don't know if subtle is the right word because it's in most of the wording. But it's just very strange because it feels almost out of nowhere. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just something that happens after hard journeys where you're just tired <laughs> you don't have oh, yeah. as much patience or if this is something to do with the skill road probably a little bit of both it could be the frayed patience because of his constant distraction and trying right. to occupy his mind right. he's got to be exhausted yeah if sleep is no rest like he has said and kettle has said if he's having those skill dreams and waking up more tired like there's yesterday or not yes yeah yesterday in his journey was the first day that he had like a good night's sleep where we left him last chapter right. with right. going with night eyes. Like that has got to wear on you. <laughs> True. Yeah. And sleeping on the ground is not fun. So I am sure in even if it's a good night's sleep on the ground, it's still a night's sleep on the ground. Trudging through the woods in the mountains in deep snow. In the cold. Ugh. But yeah, I don't know. I just found it very interesting that his knee jerk is going to anger. But I also... I'm intrigued at the fact that Fitz, at least to us, the reader, does not ponder whether or not she's right at all. Right. It's just he like almost is refusing to think on it at mm -hmm. all. 
he is just... I think he is. I think he's pushing right. it aside. He's just focusing on how mad he is that Starling is laughing. Mm-hmm. There is no more comment on, I wonder if maybe he is a girl or that's ridiculous. He can't be a girl. There's neither. It's just, I can't believe Starling's laughing at me. So as he's trudging out, he stops because they come upon a sheer, almost sheer cliff where they cannot progress any longer or any further along that path. They decide that they have to return to the road and they head directly towards that road then, struggling to scrabble up these steep uh, and loose pebbly (laughs) sides of the mountain. It says several times the pebbles under his feet slip and I'm like, don't love that. And he's on his fours more than all fours more than once. Mm -hmm. Ooh, (laughs) scary. Good hiking trail right there. (laughs) But the thing is, is like, I'm just thinking about this and they have like soft leather shoes on right now because they're wearing like the mountain shoes, which are basically just like, I assume there's more to it than just leather, but it's like a, a type of leather cloth that's on their feet and like he would feel every single rock and ooh, that wouldn't even be like oh no it just got worse <laughs> in my mind thinking about the shoes they have tougher feet than we do fitz I has have... been walking for ever that's fair. <laughs> like half a year <laughs> that's fair but still they don't have you know modern day mountain hiking shoes right, yeah. not like mountain make <laughs> So they're almost there. There's one last little hill to get over. The fool asks if they need any help and Fitz declines, saying no, we'll make it. And then he stops because he can suddenly feel the road above him. It had a current like a river, and as the current of a river stirs the air to wind over it, so did the road. It was a wind not of winter cold, but of lives, both distant and near. The fool's strange essence floated on it, and Kettle's close-mouthed fear, and Ketrickin's sad determination. They were as separate and recognizable as the bouquets of different wines. Fitz chivalry, Starling emphasized my name by hitting me between the shoulder blades. What? I asked her absently. Keep moving, I can't cling here much longer, my calves are cramping. Oh. So obviously he paused, like, in the middle of climbing, and just (laughs) was getting lost again, Starling... Uh jostles him out of that reverie and they move on and get to the road and he says then i step down onto the smooth surface of the road slipping into its pull like a child slipping into a river which i felt was a very apt description because it is a child fits slipping into the skill river because he is not trained right and it's really interesting that first of all he wasn't even to the road and it was affecting him that strongly And now we're back on the road and it's right back at it again. And I don't know if that's because this section of the road, I don't know how to say it's like strong, more strongly embedded with magic or if it's just because we know what to look for this time. So it's easier to pick up on what's happening. It's not like a, I feel foggy. It's like a, oh, this is definitely skill and I'm looking for skill. I think it's a little bit of that because he knows what he's looking for. Kettle described it a little bit more. Right. And he has some thoughts about it. But I also think, and as this progresses, he gets worse and worse in his 
in the skill about it. I think it's because they are approaching the pillar. Oh. The skill pillar. Interesting. And getting thought. closer and closer to, you know, where silver wells are, at least in Kelsingra, things like that. He's just drawing closer to a heavier concentration of that skill. Huh. And specifically that the skill pillar and the material that's made out of really messes him up. Also in the future when like an inn is made out of that in the right. uh, Tawny Man trilogy. He has to like flop himself out a window mm-hmm. before he gets lost in it. And that's way shorter of a time than this. walking along the road. Right. So I feel like that in particular, those those stones that are imbued with the skill are worse for him somehow. I don't Interesting. know. I Well, I was thinking, too, maybe that like, oh, I don't know how these skill roads are made, obviously. But I was wondering if maybe it takes like more magic or skill to create in this area because they're like on the side of a cliff there. This is Fitz describes it. As nowhere any sane builder would build a road. And that makes me wonder if, you know, more skill is needed to keep it from falling or, you know, make it safe. And so maybe then it's stronger in that area because it has to work harder to be a road. Whereas on the ground, it just has to make sure roots don't grow on it. That could be true. That could definitely be true because there's more things like not living like rocks that could right. fall on it things like that that does make more sense i i hadn't thought about that i was actually thinking those those kinds of thoughts that fits were having were more so just a disparity between the engineering levels of his present day and what that past more advanced civilization mm. civilization had that's fair so like in his time no sane builder would build where they were but for the otherlings, it was fine because they knew what they were doing more. <laughs> Fair. But that that's actually a good thought. That there's just more skill imbued because it takes more to cling there. Yeah, I don't know. And I mean, I guess I don't know how you picture this, but I'm picturing like literally a road. Like there's nothing underneath it. There's nothing above it. You know what I mean? It's oh, like really? sticking out of the mountain. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm not thinking that at all. <laughs> not like they had like carved a path through or I'm whatever. thinking 100% carved a path. Yeah, no, I'm like thinking this is just like sticking out of the mountain. Obviously, that's probably not what is going on. But I don't know. Could be. I think it's more fun to think of it. <laughs> it's having nothing underneath <laughs> Then we get into a discussion about the wit and what he's feeling besides just the skill. And it is an anxiety-inducing realization that he has. Because Night Eyes is very concerned for him. He's like telling Fitz to stay with him. I felt him groping for a firmer grip on our bond. That I could not help him alarmed me. Fitz thinks to ask him a question of why he's on the road. Wild animals don't go here. And Night Eyes is like, yeah, because they have sense and they don't want to go where there's danger. The Jeppas are following you because they rely on the humans and the Jeppas would, you know, swim across a river or anything like that where a wild animal would only do that if they were about to die. Right. So wild animals avoid it. The Jeppas will follow because they are too tamed and they rely for on survival for the humans who are on the road and Fitz is sitting there like 
so why are you on this road? Kind of jokingly, right. obviously, in, in, in tone. But Night Eyes takes that very seriously and says, do not question friendship, which I thought was a very, very short but touching sentiment from him. Right. Just another reminder that he is there for Fitz. Mm-hmm. Like this whole trip, he is there for Fitz. He doesn't care about Verity or right. well, <laughs> going to save him. He's just like, it's important to Fitz, so I'll go and help. Uh, I disagree because he is also skill uh, commanded to come follow. That's true. That is true. So it's not just. I was ignoring he, the command yeah, oh. itself, but like, yes, that is true. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do think he's doing this for Fitz and there is a sweetness there, but I would say that. Technically, they have to go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not to ruin it. (laughs) Kettle startles him out of that. And again, he reflects that his wit sense usually makes him aware of everyone. But Kettle was able to walk up right behind him. And he had not noticed that until she spoke to him. Something about the skill road was dulling my wit. When I did not specifically think of Night Eyes, he faded into a vague shadow in my mind. I'd be less than that were I not striving to stay with you, he pointed out worriedly. It will be all right. I just have to pay attention, I told him. And that part is out loud. Mm -hmm. So Fitz has transitioned from talking in his mind to Night Eyes. And I think that's the last time he talks to Night Eyes in his mind until like the very end of the chapter. Yeah. So for the rest of the day, he is separated from Night Eyes. And I think this concept is really interesting that the skill in some way is blocking out the wit, especially such a strong skill concentration. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Not not a complete thought, but... In general, when Fitz sends his mind away from himself with the skill, be it a a dream or going to visit Verity or anything like that, he cannot talk to Night Eyes. Right. When his mind is linked with another skill user, then Night Eyes can talk to him and attack across that bridge. But it's when Fitz is like sending his brain away. So I think the road... With its intense river that, like, surrounds it and the eddying of all of the lives of people there. Right. It's basically distracting and sending his mind away from his body, even though it's not to a specific place. So it's just severing that, like, you are not connected to your body. You are a part of the river now kind of thing. Mm, Right. More so, you know, hive mind, collective... You're a part of this, not your own unique identity, yeah, which has Night Eyes attached to it. That's kind of my thought. It's not fully fleshed out, but that's just yeah. kind of in my head, the uh, the headcanon that I have of how it works with this right. communication. To be fair, I just thought about the fact that Night, Eye- Night Eyes, no, Fitz was unable to keep Verity through the skill link whenever he would go into berserk mode, yeah. which was like an overwhelming amount of wit sense being used. Like mm-hmm. all the death and dying around him made him numb and it's a lot his, of wit. his brain yeah. protect himself basically. Right. So I think everything. So I guess there is an example of wit blocking out skill mm-hmm. and that if there's too much of one, it 
overshadows the other. But it's really interesting because I guess I've always thought of them as like intertwined. And, and they are in fits, I think. Right. I think it's just the balance, though. Yeah. But it is, it is interesting how they, they are still fighting. Mm-hmm. It's not just... And I think for some of it could be, like I mentioned before, Fitz's brain itself, his, right. his physical body and his health is being like, this is too much. I need to shut down to protect the brain. You know, right. like it's too much stimuli going on all at once. That's fair. Yeah. And that could happen with the wit or with the skill. Good point. So he starts walking alongside of Kettle while Kettle is walking alongside of him, (laughs) trying to drag him back, pinching his arm, trying to make him pay attention. And she's trying to make him focus on that stone's problem. He says not yet, but then kind of like immediately, I haven't solved it yet. And then immediately drifts off and thinks about the day and how the skill road makes him ignore the, the air and the, the environment around him and just draws him forward it's he notes that the road is steadily climbing, but it feels like it's an effortless walk where he's going downhill. Right. It's a. It is a magic that is pushing you onward. It's stronger here, even though uh, I think we noted it maybe. I don't know if it was last chapter or two chapters ago when they first came to the road. There was that discussion where they said it makes you want to walk along it and yes. like pulls you towards a destination. That's what this is here. It's just stronger. And Kettle makes note of that without Fitz even kind of mentioning it because he has unconsciously sped up. Right. Or subconsciously sped up. Excuse me. She says, do not be deceived. Your body labors and is cold. Simply because you are not constantly aware of it does not mean you can ignore it. Pace yourself. Her words seemed both foolish and wise. I realized that by hanging onto my arm, she was not only supporting herself, but was forcing me to walk more slowly. So he's trying to pace himself now because she made him aware of what was going on. Right. And he brings up the issue of the others. You know, they seem to take no harm from walking faster, from from traveling along this road in general. And she covers the same kind of thing that we had talked about before. Mm-hmm. that they're not old or skill sensitive. They will ache tonight and tomorrow they will slow their pace. So the ache tonight is meaning that they're also pulled on words. They just don't really know it. It doesn't right. affect them. It's besides, more subtle. Yeah, it's just more subtle. They'll be a little bit more tired. Tomorrow they'll be slower. It's fine. Yeah. Like they're that's not, kind of how it was built. <laughs> yeah. It's not <laughs> strong enough to override common sense. You, if you are not as skill sensitive, mm-hmm. but it is enough to where these people who probably have the ability to be skilled upon can just be like, okay, time to follow the road. Right. So yeah. yeah, very cool. But it is interesting that it's making him speed up here and down below. And then later it makes him slow down. I don't know. Make up your mind road. well i think later on we'll talk about it more but i think it's because there were more distractions it's leading you to a to an area and then at the end he sees all the visions of everything and he's like right i was thinking maybe also the fact that it's like 
where a pillar once was. So the road is not as strongly like, go forward, go forward, because yeah. you may have to stop there. Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so I guess it's a, yeah. it's a crossroads yeah. kind of thing. That Spooky. makes sense. He tries to dig a little bit more into Kettle's knowledge of the road and herself and how she knows of it. They're both kind of snipping back and forth at one another. She's like, do you want to know more about me or the road? And he's like, both. (laughs) And she snaps back at him saying, do you know your nursery rhymes? And he kind of says, I never grew up learning any of that. I, I don't know. I know horse rhymes and things. Do you want to learn, you know, the 15 points of a good horse or something? He notes, I don't know why it made me so angry Mm -hmm. before telling her he doesn't know any rhymes. Mm -hmm. And she snarls back. Recite for me instead, six wise men went to Jean Pei town. In my days, children were not only taught their learning rhymes, they knew what they meant. This is the hill in the poem, you ignorant pup. The one no wise man goes up and expects to come down again. A shiver walked down my spine. There have been a few times in my life when I have recognized some symbolic truth in a way that stripped it down to its most frightening bones. This was one. Kettle had brought to the forefront of my mind a thing I had known for days. The wise men were skilled ones, weren't they? I asked softly. Six and five and four... Coteries and the remains of coteries. My mind skipped up the stair of logic, substituting intuition for most of the steps. So that's what became of the skilled ones, the old ones we could not find. And they're speaking of when Verity and him were looking for people to help them out in the war. There must be old skilled ones somewhere in the world. Where are they? What happened to them? They're all gone. And they had suspected treachery and foul play. But it looks as though it is self-inflicted. <laughs> Kettle says as much. She says treachery would not be uncommon. But this is kind of what happens. When you grow in the skill, you become more and more attuned to it. Eventually the skill called them. If one were strong enough in the skill, one could survive the trip up this road. But if she were not, she perished. And if one succeeded, I asked. Kettle gave me a sidelong glance, but said nothing. What is at the end of this road? Who built it, and where does it lead? Verity, she said quietly at last. It leads to Verity. You and I need know no more than that. But you know more than that, I accused her, as do I. It leads to the source of all skill as well. Her glance became worried, then opaque. I know nothing, she told me sourly. Then as conscience smote her, there is much I suspect and many half-truths have I heard. Legends, prophecies, rumors. Those are what I know. So she's still being very withdrawn with all of her knowledge. Right. She's still not given up her truth of who she is because that is traumatic to her mm-hmm. as well. However, she has let slip a couple times for <laughs> for readers who are perceptive the first time through and for rereaders that she was part of a coterie right. or a skilled one. I felt like the first time through this, it was pretty obvious that she knew what she would like. She knew about the skill, but I 
don't think I suspected that she was a part of a coterie because I'm like, everyone's too old right. to do that. They'd be long dead. What, what were your thoughts when you were first reading through this? Um, I feel like I don't like remember exactly when I figured out that she was someone special. Like, obviously, she's someone special because Starling clearly is has some bigger role to play and they are kind of intertwined. And the fool has said that she's full of omens and portents yes. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But I think. I don't know. I knew with 100 percent certainty that she was had to be skill trained at least. I didn't yeah. know if she was in a coterie, but skill trained That's what I was when thinking. they hit the road for the first time. Mm-hmm. I was assuming that she was maybe one of the ones who they couldn't find and that maybe she wasn't a coterie. Maybe she was like, oh, I guess we don't didn't know that there were journeymen or, you know, the single ones. So I assumed that she was part of the like last grouping of coterie members and maybe she just didn't go to the mountains but i mean when she's talks about the the poem the the six Six wise Wise men Men, yes i was like okay so clearly this has something to do with you know the maybe she's a wise man that didn't go she's like one of the two that whatever i don't know so i i didn't know what i didn't know her story i didn't guess mm-hmm. correct fully correctly but i did know yeah i feel like robin hobb lays it on pretty thickly the last few chapters of mm-hmm. like that she at least knows what she's talking about right <laughs> you know also if an older person starts casual is very quiet but occasionally lets something slip that's important to the plot in books it's like oh they're an expert like (laughs) there's no way they're not they're like in some capacity they've been trained in this or else they wouldn't know anything about it (laughs) but i do have a question for you about kettle because this is something i've been wondering do we think that She's been staying on the skill road because as far as I am concerned or can tell, Kettle never joined Fitz off of the road as one of his walking partners. I don't think Ketrikin did either, to be fair. No. But Ketrikin was leading the Jeppas and Kettle was probably too old to tromp through the woods. Right. And we know that she is also somewhat affected by the road, Mm -hmm. even though she's locked away, which doesn't completely make sense to me. But that's the facts. She is somewhat affected by this. In the very first walk on the road, she was with Fitz and losing concentration. Do you think that she is staying on this road the whole time because it's given her, giving her the first taste of the skill since she has had it hmm. locked away from her? Maybe. That could definitely be the case. But... Fitz never describes it as like the euphoria of connecting with the skill. It's just like the distraction that comes with it more so. Right. And I feel like that's not what people who have skilled a long time would associate with the skill. You know, it's more so like for me, for me personally, to answer your question would be kettle is walking on the road because one, it's much easier than, (laughs) than the snow. And two, she has the mental fortitude and 
has the prepared the preparedness that she needs to traverse the road with no ill effects. Right. You know, I I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't thinking much more than that, to be honest. It could be true that she was looking for, you know, anything that connected to her past. But also that taste of the skill and her block mainly, as we find out later in the book, is of her own doing. Right. She scarred herself against using the skill after she killed her sister. Right. Which honestly, the skill being so volatile and capable of being turned against yourself in some sort of mental block makes a ton of sense because this is like a mental magic. Yeah. And so the fact that it's affected by your mentality is super good. Love that. (laughs) And also it's very based around memories and that memory is probably very shameful and hurtful to her and very traumatic and very prominent in her, in her mind. So that block is always there. It's always present. So that's why I kind of, I brought that up specifically because that's why I kind of doubt she was looking for a taste of the skill Mm. is because it would kind of bring up those, but she had to travel along the road because it was the easiest. She could keep up the longest and because she has the fortitude to walk along it. Okay. I guess I was thinking of it more in the terms that we've been watching For listeners, we've been watching a lot of um, The Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime and also Witcher Season 2, both of which have people who lose their magic in it. I will not give any spoilers for them, but there are people who lose their magic and it is described as though the world has less color in it. And it seems like once you've touched a magic and you are no longer able to. So I guess that's like obviously changing the way I'm thinking about what I'm reading. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering if maybe like even just the touch of a thing that she was once connected to is like addicting in and of itself because she hasn't been able to use it at all for so long that just seeing something through the skill, even if it's just like the smallest brush, if that would do something like in your mind of like, Oh yeah, that's nice. And then I was thinking, Along that line, if maybe the anger, especially from Fitz and Kettle, because they are the angriest too. <laughs> That's that, always Kettle, though. <laughs> true. But I'm wondering if maybe it is something like a withdrawal Could where be. they're not getting the good effect, but they are constantly, I don't know, high. It's like one of the more negative effects of using the magic, the skill. But instead of getting to enjoy the bliss that happens when you use it, you're just confused. Yeah. And so that could be. I want, yeah. So I was wondering if this is like either like withdrawal or like frustration of not getting that release of like, where is it? I'm doing this. Why don't I feel? Yeah. It's an interesting like thought for sure. I don't know. It's just some thoughts I had <laughs> while reading. <laughs> but I also want to point out. She says in here, after Fitz mentions, we we both know what's at the end of this is the source of all magic. He's talking about the Skill River, obviously, but right. Hobbes says that Kettle's glance became worried and then opaque. So she's very worried for Fitz there and then like covers it up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, especially with her outburst near the end, or like, I guess the, uh, a few pages before the end of this chapter. Right. 
she is becoming increasingly worried and scared that Fitz is just a baby. Yeah. He does not have the strength. He does not have the training in either capacity, the strength or the training to traverse this. And with her belief in the white prophet and that he is the catalyst, she's like, we're doomed. Yeah. Like my, my dream is not going to come true. Time won't erase itself. I won't be able to, you know, fix my mistakes of the past kind of thing. So I feel like she's becoming <laughs> glancing over and being like, oh my God, this is what we have. <laughs> I was thinking it was more worried because he seems too excited about that. And that's super oh, dangerous. I, I mean, think, I guess it's kind of one and the same, but yeah, I think that's definitely part of it as well. Like the more immediate and not world proportion right. worry, but the more immediate, like he is definitely going to go for that at some right. point or try to find something he's going to, that's going to be a problem in mm -hmm. the future. Well, you know what? When magic is addictive, probably don't give the guy who, like struggles with life that I don't know, like a vast quantity of the the thing that he's addicted to. Uh huh. So as they finish up this conversation, Fitz asks, how do you know these things? And Kettle says, because I am fated to do so, even as you are. And I find this very interesting because Kettle is very closed off. But we get a little insight that she feels as though it is her fate to follow Fitz to the end. Do you have any thoughts on why? I feel like she is very wrapped up in the White Prophet religion. Mm. And she must have, and very well versed on a lot of the prophecies. And I feel like she must have interpreted them herself or gotten interpretations where she's like, that's me. Mm. That's, this is the part that I play. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a little pretentious. <laughs> yes, but she that, is a yeah. very arrogant woman. True. And to be fair, without her, I don't know that Verity would have finished the dragon, even been, if Fitz had helped. Yeah, yeah. So she's not wrong, <laughs> but it is really interesting to hear her say, like, this is my fate. This is what I am meant to do. And maybe she knows it's a sacrificial thing she can do for her country after the pain that she wrought with the group that she was in to originally help home yeah. and country. True. I don't know. I just thought that was a very interesting line for her. So they move on from that conversation because she clammed up about any other skill talk. Right. And instead moved on to more board game things. Made Fitz try to focus on... Uh, games gave him game states and he would have to visualize and tell the plays that he would make. And they continued on trying to distract him. Fitz says, while I could keep the game puzzle in front of me, it did not stop the gallery of voices whispering in the back of my mind. So all the while, once in a while, he forgets about the skill river and that road being there and distracting him, but it's never fully gone out of his mind. Right. It always comes back in some way. And so the round, the road is going up and up on this mountain. It's getting dark. Night Eyes races ahead, comes back and sit like it's not far, basically. And they're getting close to this. There's a clearing up ahead. Which. Which fits 
tells Ke- uh, Kettle. Yeah, so we were wrong. I, I took a pause there because I we earlier we said this is the last time. Well, it doesn't say that he says anything back to Night Eyes. It says Night Eyes tells them that there is a camp up ahead, yeah. but it doesn't say that he re- replies to him. Okay, yeah, and I, it is the end of the day. So even I was <laughs> I was conflating with the issue because he can't hear Night Eyes at all after mm. in like five minutes, you know. But to be <laughs> to be fair, it, potentially Night Eyes doesn't say anything at all. It's just he knows, or he doesn't hear Night Eyes. He just knows that. Well, he he says in the description he came trotting back to report that they had Ah, come to a resting place so i kind of assumed there was some passage of information yeah so misspoke earlier i guess that was the last time before he fully gets snapped out of it that he talks back to night eyes that we know of right but within the span like i said of five to ten minutes he gets extremely distracted. I mean, it could be an hour, I guess. Right. We don't know the full passage of time because it's another of Hobbes quirks to <laughs> Never not tell, tell you. But Fitz is saying like, hey, we should hurry on. Come on, Kettle, let's go. And she's like, hurry, I've, I've been waiting for you all day kind yeah, of thing. You're slowing me down. Yeah. So obviously he has initially was getting pulled forward, but he has been slowing down as time has gone on, probably being more distracted. And he can, even though he says like, we should hurry to camp, he continuously slows down more and more. He keeps pausing. He knows Kettle keeps pulling on his arm, telling him to come along. And he says, even when we rounded a fold in the mountainside and saw the lit lit tent ahead of us, I could not seem to make myself move faster. As if in a fever dream, my eyes brought the tent closer to me and then set it afar. I plodded on. Multitudes whispered around me. The night dimmed my eyes. I had to squint to see in the cold wind. A crowd streamed past us on the road, laden donkeys, laughing girls carrying baskets of bright yarn. I turned to watch a bell merchant pass us. He carried a rack high on his shoulder, and dozens of brass bells of every shape and tone jingled and rang as he walked along. I tugged at Kettle's arm to bid her turn and see it, but she only seized my hand in a grip of iron and hurried me on. A boy strode past us, going down to the village with a basket full of bright mountain flowers. Their fragrance was intoxicating. I pulled free of Kettle's grip. I hurried after him to buy a few for Molly to scent her candles. Help me, Kettle called. I looked to see what was the matter, but she was not by me. I couldn't find her in the crowd. Kettle, I called. I glanced back, but then realized I was losing the flower monger. Wait, I called after him. He's getting away, she cried, and there was fear and desperation in her voice. Night eyes suddenly hit me from behind, his front paws striking my shoulders. And Night eyes rescues Fitz. He pins him down. Grabs his arm, pulls him away from the edge of a cliff that he was looking over. That Fitz does not register. Even after looking down the side of the cliff, he tells Night Eyes to let go of him, calls him an idiot, and tries to get out of his grasp. And Night Eyes has to pull him, physically pull him away. And yeah, even then he is that too jolt confused. of the jolt of realization makes the 
images and the noises and the the senses go away of all of those visions. Right. And he is looking over the edge of this abyss, but he is still out of it. Yeah. Like he, you said, like he recognizes it's a cliff, but he's like not that worried about he, it. He wasn't worried that he was going to go charging off the edge. Yeah. It's just this is where I am. Let me up. Yeah. It's like he can't register that the reason he was pinned down is because he was walking off. It's very interesting. And this is the heaviest effect the skill has had on him so far. Yes. And I think you're right that this has. I mean, obviously, maybe there is something to my theory where there's more magic here because they had to make a path more strongly. But I also think you're right that the pillar itself must have some bigger effect. I, I mean, mean, it is if if I'm going by typical fantasy rules, <laughs> it has to have more magic in it than just the road. Right. Because it has a quote unquote spell kind of imbued into right. all of its different runes. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a scary time. And interesting because Fitz loses sense of reality. He can't even see Kettle. And it's unclear if that's because the ghost people are in front or in between them. That's what's implied. I, I feel like he sees Kettle and then pulls out of her grasp, runs into the crowd of the visions that right. he sees, turns around when he hears her because she's probably only, you know, 20, 30 feet away or something. Right. And it's only the crowd of people and the merchants and things that are walking past because they're blocking a small old woman <laughs> right. from his view. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm wondering if this is the difference between like he's mentally in a completely different like he doesn't see the tent. He doesn't see anything, not because things are blocking it, but because they don't exist in this timeline or not timeline, but in this memory that he is stuck in that he is seeing everything as the memory. And because Kettle isn't there in this time when the memory was made, he can't see her yeah, maybe. or, you know, or maybe it's just the ghost people blocked, blocked her. And she's like, he's like, Oh, well I got to get the flower. Sorry. I kind of imagine it more like how I imagine Kelsingra, I guess, which is these images are overlaid on top of the ruins. They are, uh, the ruins are there, and if you look hard enough, you can see past them. If you know right. what you're, it's like an illusion. You can right. see, like, you know, pitted walls and stuff. But if you're just looking around, you see it's a beautiful mural. That's that's how I felt. Like, it's just overlaid on top of everything. So there's too much detail. There's too many things in front of him in this full scene right. to look past and see the tent and everything. I guess. That's how I, I picture yeah. it, at least. I guess in my mind, this is very... um the animated movie Anastasia-esque where she's in the ballroom and it's like crusty and broken down. And then like the memory of the night of a ball is there with her and it like slowly turns everything from like the decrepit place that it is to what it was. But like, I don't know. I can't decide if in my head the people are like kind of opaque or if they're, they look like real people. I feel like, like if, in my mind at least, I feel like similar to the Rainwild's memories that you can drown in. Yes. If you give credence to that and believe in the memory and try to live it strong enough, it will become real and solid and you mm. will lose yourself. 
And I think that's what Kettle was more scared of, even though there was the physical danger of running off a cliff right, as well. Right, <laughs> That is it's, a little bit worse, but yeah. fully losing yourself in that memory and just losing your mind in it. Right. And if you are more so like the, the, the dragon keepers who are going into and seeing these, uh, these memories, they see them, they can live through these memories, but they know it's just a memory right. and they're not getting lost in them. Unlike Rapskull, who gets lost in his and becomes yes. that warrior Teletor, you right. know? Yeah, that's fair. And I don't know. I guess this whole situation is odd, especially when Fitz starts running off after the boy, because I know that obviously his mind is wandering because of things, but He's running after this boy to get a flower for Molly, yeah. who is thousands of miles away. And that's really odd to me that he would revert to like, oh, that's something Molly would like. I should get it for her right now. As Isn't though, that how Fitz always is, though? Like, like thinking about Molly or like. I, well, thinking like, about Molly, but <laughs> you're going to keep a flower for several months and you think that's going to still be good by the time you get back to her for her to be able to make candles with? No. <laughs> so that's where I'm like, Fitz should know the basics of how plant care. I don't. <laughs> you can't keep a flower that long. It'll wilt. So that part also is odd to me that he's like, no, I need to follow this. So I'm wondering <laughs> if there's like some sort of magic that's like, follow the flower boy. <laughs> and it accidentally is leading everybody like to their a, death. Like a siren kind of thing. Yes. But like the idea is to get them to go down the path. But there isn't a path anymore and they didn't mean it to like kill people. It just happened. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that's my own personal thing going on in the background. <laughs> my thought is, is a curious one here. It says that he was going to run after the boy down to the village. So I, I'm curious if this is a memory of this location and it was this busy here at this crossroads. Yeah. And that village is the one that is like destroyed down there. Hmm. How how important was that village? If it was just a village, why is there like a major road going to it? Or was this like the main highway and then it just kind of like Happened went to a to switchback go, yeah. mountain regular trail afterwards? I I don't know. So I'm just kind of like curious about that village in a tangential way now. <laughs> I just had a really uh, tangent thought kind of. But... You know how later in this book, there is a spot where the fool and Fitz merge into the memory of their past lives. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where the fool stands in a spot that a different white prophet once stood with a crown. Yeah, the, the rooster crown. crown. Yeah. Yes. And then Fitz is standing there as a woman that mm -hmm. is that catalyst of that time period. Yeah. Realder. Yes. Who so, is the uh, the girl in the dragon. Yes. Which... Um, Kind Calgary. of kind of makes it seem as though if not a past life, like your essence is out there in some capacity. And so I wonder if this like following of the boy, this knowing there's a village there that he's going to run to, if that's like maybe the catalyst was there. And so he's like in Just the catalyst mind. That. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Could be. Could definitely be. Maybe not. But. It makes sense because it, since the skill is so memory based, right? 
having a white prophet and a catalyst as repeating a, a repeated pairing across so many countless thousands of years mm-hmm. and generations it makes sense that they would be like drawn to that because that that is who they were in the past basically right. it's I feel like it's the same kind of thing as, as a lot of reincarnation myths or Wheel of Time, as you were talking about beforehand, mm-hmm. just getting spun out by the wheel again. And the same kind of souls intertwining. So it's an interesting thought because it is a little out of place to just immediately throw some things aside, but I kind yeah. of just put it to he has been muddled and confused for right. two weeks traveling along this road <laughs> and he finally like really fell into the visions here and he's just going wild yeah Yeah. so interesting i don't know but the fool and ketrakin race over to him starling rushes over and says uh good wolf and hugs night eyes and night eyes is panting obviously enjoying her embrace so i thought that was interesting i had to reread it a couple times to make Mm -hmm. sure it was actually starling giving night eyes the hug (laughs) (laughs) but also night eyes is described very dog-like here which he is a canine, but I don't think we normally get the dog-like qualities of Night Eyes described to us. Besides, like, his head lolls to a side. Like, I don't think you say that about humans. But, I mean, I don't know. I just, this feel, he feels very dog here, which I think is purposeful because He all is of a not sudden, a character. He is a dog in this scene. Yes, because, it's just. Yeah, there's no communication. Yeah. So he sits panting there and Fitz asks him. Asked Night Eyes out loud, what is the matter with you? He looked at me, but did not reply. My first reaction was a stupid one. I lifted my hands to my ears, but that had never been how I had heard Night Eyes. He whined as I did so, and I heard that clearly. It was just a dog's whine. Night Eyes, I cried. He reared up to stand on his hind legs, his front paws on my chest. He was so big, he could almost look at me in my eye. I caught an echo of his worry and desperation, but no more than that. I quested out toward him with my wit sense. I could not find him. I could not sense any of them. It was as if they had all been forged. I looked around at their frightened faces and realized that they were talking, no, almost shouting something about the edge of the road and the black column and what was the matter, what was the matter. For the first time, it struck me how ungainly speech was. And... He kind of goes into a description. I don't want to read the full rant here, right? but it's it becomes apparent in this section here how out of the loop he is with being human, right? out of the loop he is with being a social being with other humans. He cannot, he's contemplating and so lost in like, all of these words, we just put meaning on them. They don't, they're just unintelligible sounds strung together. What do these five words mean strung together? It's just first part of a sentence, but I thought on that for 10 minutes as she was walking away. Like he's not gathering any of the information or retaining anything that they're trying to say to him. Right. And it is interesting to think of the skill communication that happens as something that happens in a higher like higher plane a higher sense of self needed to do this because there is no verbal communication which leads me to believe that something with the speaking through the skill is similar to wit in that it's not necessarily words um sometimes it's just it's like more of feeling 
which we know is true, I guess, but it's just very evident here how different that is. And I think it's interesting that with Fitz thinking over words and all the different meanings, it starts, this whole rant starts with them each saying Fitz and him like skill reading the thought that they have behind that word and how each of them is seeing a different version of him. And he can see the version of him that they want when they are saying that name, which was the coolest thing I thought about this whole rant Mm -hmm. at the very beginning where he is like literally seeing what their minds are thinking when they say that word. And that is, uh, uh, yeah, I think I would also be like, Oh my God, the possibilities (laughs) (laughs) I just, as someone who likes words in general. Anyway, I would be over here like, Oh, what could these possibly have like the connotations behind this? I definitely get this. I definitely get this. Is there purple the same purple I'm seeing or thinking of? This is a conversation Luke and I have all the time. Yes. (laughs) Always brought on by me. I don't think we all see the colors the same. But anyway, (laughs) I think I just thought that was a really cool thing that I really liked about this passage. This delving into what are words really, but we are getting a look at how the skill works and that. It is more imagery than words. Yeah. Like, I think, which is different than what I had originally thought of the skill as. Yeah, the the original description of Galen trying to rifle through Fitz's thoughts was like, basically like a very large stack of papers and you could get to the top ones and like throw those aside and you right. have to dig to the bottom to find what the, the secrets are. So it's kind of layers of images and like oh this one no throw that memory aside this one images and feelings and thoughts and it's a brain (laughs) true the fool pulls him into the tent kind of sits him down with a hot mug of tea night eyes lays down beside him and they just kind of baby him for a bit because they don't know really what's going on they are trying to just keep him here there yes exactly it also says that night eyes puts his head on his lap and fits and looks at fits so he scratches night eyes's ears thinking maybe that's what he he wants but being a little afraid that he has to guess yeah it was terrible not to know he says he wasn't much used to anybody Uh, he kept trying to do chores but people would take stuff out of his hands Several times he was pinched or poked and bid wake up by Kettle. One time I became so fascinated by the motion of her mouth as she scolded me that I didn't realize when she was walking away from me. I don't remember what I was doing when the back of my neck was seized in her claw-like grip. She dragged my head forward and kept her hold while she tapped each stone in turn on a game cloth. She put a black stone in my hand. For a time I just stared at the markers. Then suddenly I felt a shift in perception. There was no space between me and the game. For a time, I tried my pebble in various positions. I finally found the perfect move, and when I set my stone in place, it was as if my ears had suddenly cleared or like blinking sleep from my eyes. I lifted my eyes to consider those around me. Sorry, I muttered inadequately. Sorry. Better now? She asked me softly. She spoke as if I were a toddler. I'm more myself now, I told her. 
I looked up at her, suddenly desperate. What happened to me? The skill, she said simply. You just aren't strong enough in it. You nearly followed the road where it no longer goes. There is some sort of marker there, and once the road diverged there, one track going down into the valley and the other continuing across the mountainside. The downhill path is sheared off, carried away in a cataclysm years ago. There is nothing but tumbled stone at the bottom, but one can just see where the road emerges from the ruin and continues. It vanishes in another jumble of stone in the distance. Verity could not have gone there, but you nearly followed its memory to your death. She paused and looked at me severely. In my days... You haven't been trained enough to do what you've been doing, let alone face this challenge. If this is the best you were taught... Are you certain Verity is alive? She suddenly demanded of me. That he survived this trial alone? I decided one of us had to stop keeping secrets. I saw him, in a skill dream. In a city, with folks such as we pass today. He laved his hands and arms in a magic river and walked away laden with power. God of fishes, Kettle swore, something of horror and something of awe lit in her face. So now we, in character, as Fitz, know in book, he knows the truth that he almost walked off the edge of the cliff chasing his memories that he was falling into. Kettle knows that Verity found a river of skill and dipped his hands into it. Right. And And she is kind of scared and awestruck. Probably a little envious. I wonder if Kettle knows that there are physical places of skill before this. Like if this or maybe if this was just like a rumor that was going around or a legend. That I f- Yeah, I feel like she spoke a half truth when she said there was legends, rumors and myths and folk tales about what was at the end of this road. Right. But it was something that her and her coterie had always discussed and they were going to do. Right. So obviously there was a lot more knowledge then 200 yes. and 200 years ago. We'll say, we'll right. say maybe she was 50 when she um, split up or whatever. So I, I feel like 200 years is a lot of time to lose that knowledge. But if you're shutting down skilled users for 150 of that, 200 years Mm -hmm. you're gonna lose a lot of knowledge true yeah that's fair and i mean solicity knew presumably everything that kettle knows she just didn't have time to teach that to the future king Mm -hmm. and maybe shrewd knew no i don't think no i don't think shrewd would have known his father is the one who started shutting down and keeping that the skilled user secret and more exclusive king bounty i think uh is the one who kind of like it's only the king's magic only train the princes and like the select few that are gonna train the rest i wonder if that's because somebody in the royal family tried to make a dragon and didn't succeed or like went crazy with it or something. And so they're like, yeah, we're going to crack down. <laughs> Nobody gets this anymore. I don't know. I guess that wouldn't make sense to keep them having it. I, but I wonder if something bad happened and that's what made him decide to crack down. Maybe. Either way, they at least 
Kettle knows a little bit more about the situation at hand. I think it's interesting that Kettle doesn't realize that Fitz never finished training. I didn't realize until this moment, I think, that Fitz has not told anybody that he, in this group at least, that he is not officially trained. Maybe Ketrickin knows, but everybody Maybe else. The fool. Probably the fool, because the fool is there during this time period, so he could mm-hmm. probably guess he's smart enough. But like, also he was like the king's right hand man, so he also probably knows. fits kind of you know uh, vented to him a few True. times during that. True. So I think it's interesting that Kettle is like, <laughs> from Kettle's point of view, in like, two hundred years, this is where training has come to. What is happening? Which, to be fair, would be a little bit worrying. Mm-hmm. But she probably wouldn't know that Verity had way more training, even though still in the scope His of things. wasn't complete, yeah. Yeah. But he's stronger in the skill. He is the strongest Farseer by far yes. that has ever been. <laughs> Most likely. That we know of, yes. Yeah. That is recorded by Fitz. <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh, it's getting scary for her. Yeah, <laughs> saying, of like, like, what are we going to come to? Is he even at the end of this road? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Fitz, Fitz has to let him know that, yeah, here's some truths because one of us has to tell the truth. Starling startles him because she speaks up and asks a question. There's basically says there were no people on the road today because Fitz was describing the people that we passed. And he jumps because he can't sense her. He doesn't have the wit right now, still. Or at least it's dulled enough to still it in him. And Kettle responds, All those who have trodden on this road have left something of themselves upon it. Your senses are muffled to those ghosts, but Fitz walks here naked as a newborn child, and as naive. Kettle leaned back suddenly against her bedroll, and all the lines in her face deepened. How can such a child be the catalyst? She asked of no one in particular. You don't know how to save yourself from yourself. How are you going to save the world? The fool leaned over from his bedroll suddenly to take my hand. Something like strength flowed into me with that reassuring touch. His tone was light, but his words sank into me. Competence was never guaranteed in the prophecies. Only persistence. What does your white column say? They come like raindrops against the stone towers of time. But in time, it is always the rain that prevails, not the tower. He gave my hand a squeeze. Which is very encouraging, but also a little scary. <laughs> and also a small slight. Fitz wouldn't take it that way, but <laughs> no. like saying competence was never guaranteed. Oh. Only that you're stubborn as a mule. And you're yes. gonna keep going. <laughs> See, it's so odd to read this because Fitz is taking this as caring. And I wonder if this is a little bit of the skill still imbuing it, because we know that one of the biggest conflicts between Fitz and the Fool is how they express themselves is so diametrically different. Yes. That the Fool expresses his love through barbs and quips. And Fitz expresses his love through actions and also through what he says. <laughs> and it's so interesting in that in this moment, a fool is saying something that on the surface, probably to everybody else, sounds sarcastic, a little bit mean. But Fitz is hearing the meaning behind the words yeah. and hearing that this is reassurance. This is love. Like this is maybe not love. The but fool saying 
Fitz is who he's supposed to be. Yes. It is caring. It, yeah. He and doesn't kind. have to be, you know, yeah. a 50 year old, super competent, buff, skilled man. Yes. <laughs> who is ready to take on the world by himself. No, it's because he is so persistent and unique. And yes. who he is is why he is the catalyst. Yeah. And I thought that's a very sweet little thing. And maybe I'm reading too much into it because that's I what we do love. here. Yes, it's fine. That is true. <laughs> um, that's why you guys are listening, I'm sure. So. <laughs> But I just, I found that so sweet that in this, this one time Fitz can grasp the like friendship and true like kindness behind the barb. (laughs) So with fool grasping Fitz's hand, Fitz exclaims that he's too cold and suggests elf bark. Kettle grabs onto that idea and gives elf bark tea to both the fool to warm him up and Fitz to deaden him a little bit more, I'm guessing. Yes. (laughs) To the skill. So she's very happy, but gives him a very paltry amount compared to what he would normally yes. do. Fitz, I see you. I see you twitching a little bit, wanting to touch on that. <laughs> Fitz is like so offended that Kettle puts such a minuscule amount. Even later on, he's like, I took the last sip of my tea expecting the the customary warmth I get every time I take a the sip energy. of Elf Bark. And I didn't get it. And I turned to her and say, you didn't put enough in. And she's like, I put way more in than I should. <laughs> I've seen the doses you give yourself. Yeah. So just the fact that he is like, there's nothing wrong with me being dependent on this drug. It's odd that somebody who is so against it isn't giving me more. Okay, Fitz, I'll write it off this time because you are jumbled in the mind currently. It's not your fault, but also, come on. (laughs) So when they have their tea, Ketrickin calls Fitz over to look at the map and discuss it with her. So they're at a juncture, they are at a crossroads, and Ketrickin is wondering or asking for Fitz's opinion on what to do next, where Verity might have gone. Ketrickin's under the assumption with this broken down area, he might have gone down there and searched, and Fitz kind of chimes in, yeah, like he might have, but then he would have moved on because this is not where he is. Right. Well, he does say that he thinks, if anything that would be his last resort that yeah. he would have gone forward because there are three locations, one of which is the road that the, is broken. There are two more forward one, maybe three to four days away, one, a couple days past that. And so he's obviously going to go to those first and then come back if he doesn't find anything there. Yeah. So probably we should go forward. But Ketrickin's like, if he ended up here, we should search this kind of thing. Right. Because she is impatient and understandably so wants to find Verity as quickly as possible. Right. And when Fitz mentions that, you know, it's only a few days forward, we could just go there first. We don't need to split up like Ketrickin wants to do to cover more ground. She asks, well, it hasn't been that long since we started this journey. So why wouldn't he have already passed there. Yeah, and why wouldn't he have come back here and gone down there? It could have right. taken him a long time. And Fitz has to remind her that Verity was alone. Mm-hmm. He had just been attacked and did not have all the provisions that they have. Specifically keeps out the attack part of that description to her. That's right. That's the part he thinks to himself. Yes. That probably he was injured. Doesn't want to put more worry on Yes. But (laughs) he does let her know he's alone and didn't have the preparations that they have. He didn't have Jeppa's carrying 
supplies. It was just him. He kind of gets lost in the skill a little bit, and that's when they discuss about splitting the party. And as we all learn from Dungeons and Dragons, you never split the party. Only bad <laughs> things happen. Or Scooby-Doo. <laughs> or Scooby-Doo, yes. <laughs> Although that is when Great you find example. the bad guy. <laughs> True. What if they split the party in the first two minutes, though? Then the show's over. Exactly. You know? So you got to keep the party together a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> so Fitz says, like, yeah, we, we shouldn't split the party. Uh, we should just keep going along the road. And Ketrikin's like, you're most likely correct, but it takes so long, so very long, and I've been alone with my questions too long. I could think of nothing to say, so I pretended to be busy rubbing Night Eyes' ears. My brother. It was a whisper, no more, but I looked down at Night Eyes beside me. I rested a hand on his ruff, strengthening the bond with a touch. You were as empty as an ordinary human. I could not make you even feel me. I know. I don't know what happened to me. I do. You are moving ever farther from my side to the other side. I fear you will go too far and be unable to return. I feared it had already happened today. What do you mean, my side and the other side? Ketrikin chimes in. Can you hear the wolf again? I was surprised when I looked up to see how anxiously she regarded me. Yes, we are together again, I told her. A thought occurred to me. How did you know we were unable to communicate? She shrugged. I suppose I assumed it. You seem so anxious that you seem so distant from everyone. She has the wit, don't you, my queen? And he reflects that he had thought so earlier in Buckkeep as well. Right. Fitz had thought so earlier. Yep. It's really interesting that this is happening that first of all we're slowly getting the elf barks effects he's able to communicate with night eyes again but also that ketrikin is kind of privy to this conversation mm -hmm. she's a little bit at least knows something is happening more than the average person yeah. Bakes, basic senses like I, I had pointed out in a previous episode that that was the first time that they had mirrored each other yes in a while um here we go again with another thought coming up here. Yeah. One, that she recognized that they couldn't communicate. Mm -hmm. And obviously Night Eyes was anxious about that. And she interpreted that much more clearly than the other people in the party did. Right. And the second one here, she's saying, sometimes I wish I could speak to him as you do because he could be useful scouting, things like that. I'd be much more sure of the road ahead of us. Night Eyes says, if you can keep your wits about you, enough to tell her what I see, I would not mind doing such a task. So Fitz tells Ketrikin out loud, you know, Night Eyes would be most pleased to help you in such a way. And she pretty much echoes his thoughts and Fitz kind of remarks on this, saying, then I suppose if you can keep aware of both of us, you may serve as go-between. Her eerie echoing of the wolf's thoughts unsettled me, but I only nodded my assent. Yeah. That's a very similar thought. It's yeah. very, it's, it feels, <laughs> I laugh at this, but it feels like when you're in school and you're, <laughs> you're looking at your friend's homework and like, Hey, can I, can I see your answer for this? And like, yeah, but don't copy me. So right. you like <laughs> get, a, get a couple different words in there. <laughs> uh -huh, you use a fancier term that they didn't. Keep Furthermore. Your wits, <laughs> if you keep your wits about you enough to tell her what I see, I would not mind doing the task. 
If you can keep aware of both of us, you may serve as go between. Yeah, like. <laughs> exactly the same. <laughs> but I would like to point out that wits about you is yes. capital W. And that has, not- had the, has the little verbal pun there. Uh-huh, <laughs> or at least which- Fitz interprets, interprets <laughs> it as a pun. Yeah. I just thought it would be important to note because it is technically a turn of phrase that is usually used. But it is also capital W wits. So... That is, is also a little punny. <laughs> Fitz is struggling to keep on top and aware of the conversations. And he notes that thinking in his uh, in his head, it was like being horribly tired and having to constantly fight off sleep. I wondered if it was this hard for Verity. And Verity responds. Yeah. Suddenly he's there. There is a way to ride it, but lightly, lightly, like mastering an ill-tempered stallion who rebels against every touch of the rein or heel. But you are not ready to do so yet. So fight it, boy, and keep your head above water. I would that there were another way for you to come to me, but there is only the road, and you must follow it. No, make no reply to me. Know that there are others that listen avariciously, if not as keenly as I. Be wary. Fitz recalls the conversation that he had previously with Verity about how chivalry was with the magic, with the skill, entering like a, a bowl and leaving a big space behind. And right. Fitz feels like that, too, because he f- suddenly feels Verity's presence go out of him, basically. Yeah. He's he there, very empty. there in an instant, drops what he needs to drop and runs. And it leaves Fitz, uh, Fitz gasping like a fish. Mm-hmm. He says if he didn't have the elf bark, he thinks he would have fainted mm-hmm. and that his weariness was gone, but he felt muted. Didn't come with the flush of energy that he usually has. And this is where he says to Kettle, like, I don't think you used enough. Yes. <laughs> and belatedly, he talks to Ketrickin here saying, oh, right. Yeah. Verity just skilled me, by the way. <laughs> right. Which is very poorly done, and he yes. notes that, but he As is also soon. very muddled at the moment. Right. He knows he should tell her, so he knows she knows he's alive, but then realizes that it's not anything of comfort. It's not going to be what she wants to hear, and it's too late. He's already opened the can of worms, and he lets her know that it it was not really a message, just warning, again, about... You know, the people watching, he thinks there's people watching, he's paranoid. But that's like almost even more hurtful right. for Ketrickin because she follows up with that like, well, does he even know that, you know, I failed him in these many ways or whatever, right. lost a child, that sort of thing. Well, she wants to, there wasn't any word for me, you know, and Fitz is like, well, I don't even think he knows you're here. So, which again, not great. <laughs> I don't think he does, though, to be honest. Uh, well... From what I know, Verity is trying to keep himself closed off to Ketrickin because he wants to protect her. So it makes sense that while he's watching Fitz to make sure Fitz is okay because he wants Fitz to come, Mm -hmm. he's not like wide scope watching Fitz as he walks along. Yeah, exactly. Just making sure he's not dying. And also, I'm pretty sure by the time they do reach him, he has put all memories into the dragon except for Fitz, basically. Yeah. And some other select ones that he's slowly get rid- getting rid of, but he doesn't really care about anybody else right. when they and get to the quarry. To be fair, 
he was married to Ketrickin for like two years and had like a month of, of a loving love. <laughs> marriage. <laughs> um, so I would assume that probably went pretty quick. Yes. Whereas the love of a nephew that also you feel some sort of guilt to try to keep alive probably outweighs that. So and also I, the last living remnant of your brother who you right. loved and looked up to and wanted to follow and be this right hand man to your king. And his son looks exactly like him. <laughs> right. Like there's a lot of layers to this. And I'm not like I think it's a little bit crappy of Verity. But also, like, grand scheme, he's totally doing what get he, it. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's, like, I get he's, it. <laughs> he's making the choices he has to make to finish the project, and he's only thinking Fitz is coming. Yeah. And to be fair, like, between memories of my little sister and you, like, I'm probably going to put the memories of you in before. <laughs> Sorry. Ooh, okay, okay. Well. Bella has some funny things that she has done in her life that I want to keep forever. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> She's got 20 years on you. <laughs> so he, so Fitz handles this very poorly, but he can't really help himself either. He wants to get that information across that he is alive and skilled. Right. Ketrickin, of course, is extremely hurt by Verity's non-communication. Yeah. Uh, and she's still feeling the feelings that we had discussed earlier, too. Yeah. The anger, I'm sure, and she feels ashamed by that to be angry at Fitz and just has to turn away and Fitz is saying like I, I don't sense any grief or like any knowledge of you at all like he doesn't know any of this it's like it's fine it's he fine. would grieve yeah. if he knew that you lost the child and everything and she just has to take his word for it again right like it's it's that same situation yes it's information that she should know and that's good for Fitz to tell her but at the same hand it's the worst information that he can tell her because it's secondhand. Right. And it's like, and I know my, I know your husband better than you ever will. Right. And to be fair, this is like the least tactful Fitz has ever been in his life, True. which yes. is saying a lot. <laughs> I mean, when he, he wants to be tactful, he's yes. extremely good at. Yes. <laughs> at that. But so this is not only something that is hard to talk about on a good day. This is coming from somebody that you know and love as a friend that is doing something very frustrating and talking about a subject that's very touchy that you have not been able to vent about. Like, right. yes, she talked to Fitz last chapter about some of the things that have been weighing her down, but Fitz kind of kept a wall up in some capacity. And I could see how that wouldn't be as therapeutic for Ketrickin where right. she's, and obviously talking about it one time and like having a short little conversation about months long problems isn't going to make you like feel better right away. But you know, there's this moment where <laughs> of course she's going to be upset about my husband doesn't think about me at all. And right. Oh, by the way, I still have to tell him this horrible news when we see him because apparently he doesn't know or care to ask. Like yep. I could have had a baby and he doesn't even care, <laughs> which also probably what she's thinking because for all he knows, she did have a baby already. And he hasn't even asked about it. And that would also be frustrating in like a dual way of like how why wouldn't he be concerned about the child? Also, though, then I would have to tell him there is no child. Right. Ugh. Bad. So she makes up some excuses to go outside. After a little bit, Fitz follows her with a warning from Kettle saying, don't be too long. Right. She's standing at the edge of the Cloven Road 
staring out over the blackness of cliff at her feet. She stood tall and stiff as a soldier, reporting to his sergeant, and made not a sound. I knew she was crying. There's a time for courtly manners, a time for formal protocol, and a time for humanity. I went to her, took her by the shoulders, and turned her to face me. She radiated misery, and the wolf beside me whined high. Ketchikin, I said simply, he loves you. He will not blame you. He will grieve, yes, but what kind of man would not? As for Regal's deeds, they are Regal's deeds. Do not take the blame for those to yourself. You could not have stopped him. I set my arms about my queen and pulled her to me, pressing her face to my shoulder. I stroked her back, feeling the terrible tension there. It's all right, I lied to her. It's going to be all right. In time, you'll see. You'll be together again. You'll make another child. Both of you will sit in the great hall at Buckkeep and listen to the minstrels sing. There will be peace again, somehow. You've never seen Buckkeep at peace. There will be time for Verity to hunt and fish, and you'll ride at his side. Verity will laugh and shout and roar through the halls like the north wind again. Cook used to chase him out of the kitchen for slicing the meat from the roast before it was cooked through. He would come home from the chase that hungry. He'd come right in, cut the leg off of a cooking fowl that he would, and carry it about with, uh, carry it about with him, telling stories in the guardroom, waving it about like a sword. I patted her back as if she were a child, and told her tales of the bluff, hardy man I remembered from my boyhood. She coughed once, as if starting to choke, but suddenly, instead, terrible sobs welled up from her. She cried and unabashedly as a child that has taken a bad fall and is hurt as well as frightened. I sensed these were tears that had long gone unshed, and I did not try to help her stop. Eventually, she wipes her face and eyes before she tries to speak and says, I'm going to be all right, she said. To hear the strength of her belief in those words made my heart ache. It's just, it's hard just now, waiting to tell him all these terrible things, knowing how they will hurt him. They taught me so many things about being sacrifice fits. From the beginning, I knew I might have terrible sorrows to bear. I am strong enough to bear these things. But no one warned me that I might come to love the man they'd choose for me. To bear my sorrow is one thing. To bring sorrow to him is another. This is such a sad and touching moment in that Fitz is finally giving Ketrickin permission to grieve that I think she needed because she wasn't going to give herself permission. She needed somebody to come in and say, you know, it's okay, and to comfort her. And I mean, she's just such a strong woman that she has like been taking all this on mm-hmm. and just dealing with it. I, Albeit maybe not the most healthy way, but (laughs) the way that she was taught. Yeah. Being a sacrifice is to bear the sorrows and you alone are the sacrifice for your people. And she's taking that to the extreme and, and gathering all of them in for herself. Right. And I think what's heartbreaking about it is that it's not just 
sad that she has gone through this, but it's sad that like she feels as though the most burden comes that she has to bring sorrow to Verity too. Yeah. That she doesn't like that is what's hurting her more. Not that she has to go through this because she in some weird way thinks that she deserves sorrow as sacrifice, I guess. I don't know. Either that or it's been time and she has gone through them. Right. And just keeping them inside and having to hold on to them, waiting for that renewed hope of Verity is now just bringing those sorrows to the front again. And also she would have to tell him. And that's hard. Yeah. I mean, it would be hard to talk about under normal circumstances, but it's been months since they saw each other and she's probably only thinking about all the hard stuff they have to talk about and they don't get to just be the same happy couple they were before. There's other stuff happening. And she touches on that a little bit too, saying that sometimes I think that if we could only be together again, all the rest would have come right as well. It's not a very worthy thought to have. A sacrifice is supposed to be more dot, 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 because Fitz zones out there. Right. But she opens up to being like, you know, a sacrifice is supposed to be calculating and, and perfect and everything like that. But I just want to be happy. And I I feel yeah. like if I got that happy ending, everything would be OK. Oh, I want to hug her and pat her back. Yeah. Like, <laughs> honey, it's OK. You, you don't have to be strong all the time. I, I do want to applaud Fitz here because we do <laughs> bash him every time he doesn't do something yes. with humanity, but he can recognize moments yes. if it's very apparent. But yes, he he can recognize those moments and he does take the time to comfort her and just let, let her vent and right. does his best to comfort her, but not try to say like, stop crying. It's okay. Like right. he recognizes I, the moment. I really like that. He mentions that he doesn't try to make her stop. Yeah. That it's, this is clearly something that needs to happen. And I love the healthy message of like, sometimes you just have to cry mm-hmm. and like, it's not always fun, but if you don't, it's just going to get worse. Yeah. And so like, it's okay to have the moment you need to cry. It's, it's okay to let it out. And I love that Fitz is like, it's not a, of course she's a weepy woman. It's a like, this has been something that has clearly built up and she needs to let it out. And I'm going to sit here and tears, talk while she does tears long gone. Uh, shed. Yeah. I'm going to make it normal. Mm-hmm. And I love him for that. I think it's great. I love it. You love to see <laughs> Fitz doing good things. He can be a good person. I and, mean, not that he's not, but, <laughs> but they are standing on the skill road. They are at the edge of this broken down road, this passage And right there at the crossroads is the skill stone, the road marker. The skill pillar. Yes, the pillar. And so while Ketrakin is opening up more so about that, a glint of silver behind her her caught my eyes. I saw the black column over her shoulder. It leaned at a cant over the broken edge of the road, half of its stone support gone. I did not hear the rest of what she said. The wind was screaming behind me as I reached out and ran a hand down that smooth stone. It welcomed me. He describes it a little bit. There's a, you know, hewn black stone webbed with glittering crystal, like moonlight on a rippling river of skill. He can't decipher any writing on its surface, and that's because 
Uh, it's dark out, first right. of all. I think they they do find some writing on it, but it's also very, very old, so it's worn down. It's eroded a little bit. Right. Also, he says that it gleams brighter than the moon, which is probably some skill effect, because I would assume well, that, like... It gleamed brighter than the moon on, a, on the sparkling snow, so I don't know if that's just a poetic turn of phrase that he has or if it's literally brighter than the moon on I'm, snow. I was thinking, like... What if it's got some sort of like skill magic to be a light at nighttime so that like travelers on be. the road yeah. know or like, oh, there's my destination. I feel like the other people would remark upon that a little bit then. No, I mean like only for skill users. Oh, only for, like yeah, it's maybe. like a, yeah. I don't know. Could be, could yeah. be. Who knows? As either way, it draws him in and it welcomes him right. because we know he travels to Kelsingra after this. Yes. I do wonder if the wind screaming is actually Ketrikin. I, th- I think it's, yeah. I think it's Ketrikin screaming after him. Like Fitz. Because I think he like sees it and walks past her. Right. Which, and, like, thank reaches out. goodness he lets go of her. Yes. Because yeah. he, uh, who knows what would have happened. First of all, thank goodness he's okay. Because right. we learn, we learn they're very dangerous. Yeah, he he's could, lucky. Yeah, he could have lost his mind, um, but thankfully he doesn't bring the queen with, so that she could also potentially be lost. Oh, yeah. So this is a, a the, tough toughie. I, I kind of mark this as the beginning of the last act right here because this is kind of when it all starts to steamroll. We get Verity in our mind, yes, the whole time, but this we get. A chapter where Kettle explains a little bit more of what's at the end of this road of the six wise men confirmation of that yes. these were coteries. We get fits with all of these memories around us and it's like really weird. And why are these people here? And Starling didn't see them. We get him disconnected from Night Eyes, which is scary. And then the next chapter, he's in a new city we see evidence of Verity having been there in the map room uh-huh. and all of these other memories around him. And he's like, this is this is weird. Right. <laughs> but familiar. And oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is like the beginning, because in the next few chapters, they get to the meadow with all the statues. Right. And they move on to the quarry. This know. is so interesting because so there's a lot that still has to happen. And I think it's odd to me. That there's, I don't know, a third of the book left, a qu- close to a quarter of the book left, and there's still so much that has to happen. And in my brain, like, the stuff that happens in this quarter is before this reread what I thought was, like, the entire book. So- <laughs> they sit around in the quarry for a while, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's... I don't know. I forgot. I told Luke before we started this chapter, I forgot that he goes to Kelsingra alone. That's not where they end up. They don't go there all as a group and that was wild to me so i was like oh my gosh what else am i like what little details got scrambled in my brain well we'll have to read and find out that's true and you guys will have to tune in for the next weeks to find (laughs) out where they go tune in next week (laughs) on dragon ball z well thank you so much for listening to us ramble about this stuff we love it we love to hear from you guys and if you want to speak at us or let us know what you're thinking please email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can message us directly in our DMs or comment on any of our posts on all of our social media accounts, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, review us at any of your favorite 
podcasting apps. You can find a lot of those links on our website, isfitshappy.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah, see you next week. We are going to end the episode as we always do with some listener queries. And we're going to start off with some DMs we got on Instagram. The first one being from Amir, who wrote in to tell us their theory about the some of the wise men groupings. Yes. So six wise men of jean Pei. we were talking about what different coteries they could be. And right. Amir has a, a couple of the uh, a couple of the coteries as a theory in here. So the first one that he has that he is pretty sure about is Kestrel's coterie is grouping number four. So it's a very, very powerful coterie. So they might communicate with skill only because this is the one that's the four wise men. They don't talk out loud. And Amir states that they were only four after Kestrel kills Gull and gets uh, burnt or like sealed off and exiled. Right. And Amir believes that Kestrel talks about how uh, after her actions, they were useless. So they uh, were let go. Right. Like the coterie was no longer functioning. It was kind of broken by her actions. Yeah. So they probably, they might have just wandered off and gone to a dragon. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's super fair because um, one person was murdered and the other person was kicked out of your group for murdering that person. Right. So I could see how that would maybe affect work life. (laughs) Yeah. The, the issue I have with that is that she did kill her sister, right? And then mm-hmm. Kestrel was left. So that only leaves three in the coterie with skill, not the four. Ah. Kettle's technically alive, but she I don't know if she's in the with. coterie anymore, you know? Yeah. That's the only part that I'm kind of like, mm, maybe not. But right. otherwise, that kind of fits in there. Um, the other, the next is for the two wise men and there's a loose idea that maybe it could be dutiful and riddle. But I, I'm really, I don't think so. Cause riddle isn't a true skilled one and he's more like a king's man to nettle later on. He's like right. a well for her strength. And and he and Mir does say like this one's it's pretty loose like I don't yeah know. this is more of like a potentially if <laughs> yeah. you wanted to shoehorn them in you could yes um, because it's reaching they, but yeah it, so it could kind of fit in there yeah because dutiful as the uh, as the dragon island has a quarry in there yes uh, he never carves his dragon that we know of at least in the story yet because yes. he's still alive at the end of <laughs> the series of yeah. the series. But yeah, so that one's a little bit reaching. And then the last one he has is about the zero wise men. And I I didn't even think about that as like a potential coterie. I thought that as a, a general warning or like no wise men go up here because it is better not to. Right. So I didn't even like take it as like, who a person, can we fit in yeah. there? But Amir did, and which is a very creative thing. And they thought that potentially chivalry 
Yes. Also, also again says there's really no basis except it feels right because so, <laughs> he was like wasting his life which, at Withy Woods instead of going to carve a dragon. Right. Which love that. That is the basis for all of my theories that I spout out. So <laughs> it is an interesting thought, especially if you take the six wise men song counting song as a prophecy. Right. I I think I like sh- the chivalry one more than I like the dutiful and riddle one to be honest (laughs) but i still agree with amir that there's really no basis for the chivalry one right but it is fun to think about for that yeah it's definitely really fun to try to figure out if any of the characters we know and love could be shoehorned in which to be fair is what the white prophets do whenever they want things to turn out so yeah true we are in good company (laughs) but amir also wrote to also talk about how Potentially, Kestrel added the extra verses that these aren't prophecy. That the fool had, hadn't had heard before the two extra verses or whatever. Yes. Yeah. And so potentially that is why some of them don't fit. That maybe it's not all prophecy, um, which I think is a potential. I mean, she's been around for 200 years. There's definitely a chance that she has studied the rhyming scheme of this poem poem enough to be able to add her own freestyle on um it's not necessarily impossible uh i would like to believe that it's just knowledge that had been lost to time and in my brain my own little head canon there is even more to this poem than we know it's just each generation learns less and less yeah, be because true. that's how oral storytelling goes. You, It changes. It changes. Yeah. yeah. So potentially 200, 200 years before it Kettle was around, it was completely different and way more obvious who was supposed to be yeah. who. Yeah. Um, Definitely could be true. But maybe not. Maybe there's just a couple extra verses and they got dropped off like the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> Everybody's like, just the one is fine, I guess. <laughs> Also a great pet picture in here. Yes. Great dog picture. Thank you, Amir. Always love the dogs. Um, but yeah, so we just thought that was like a really interesting con- or idea that maybe the two extra verses were added by Kettle herself. Yeah. The next Instagram message was by uh, Dejan Hart. It was a quick correction more so than a question or anything like that. We kept mistakenly saying queen crossfire for talking about crossfire sacrifice and as we have spoken of before about coteries we know that coteries are named after members of coteries yes it just kind of i don't know slips sometimes slips out of your mind so good correction thank you for reaching out about it crossfire was a member and the leader of crossfire's coterie and the coterie was for queen vision yes <laughs> at the time <laughs> so. crossfire sacrifice is not about a queen it is about the coterie itself yes so, so that is a it's a good uh good reminder <laughs> good reminder to good keep, yeah yeah good thing for us to tell people that we were wrong just in case they're like i don't remember queen crossfire yeah. there are a lot of names it's good to keep who is who straight yes so thank you very much for that reminder there yes. we appreciate that And finally, we're going to go to a message that we got, or I suppose a reply we got on Facebook. Um, This is for episode 82. 
Yes, chapter 19, Pursuit, when Fitz is running away from the Pharaoh soldiers into the Mountain Kingdom. He is injured and is just running and eventually gets to the outskirts of jean at the end of it. Yes, the question is... It's... Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a question here. Basically, the, the asking, theory. <laughs> yeah, basically asking how how could the Pharaoh soldiers not catch up to Fitz during this time? Because for there's a question mark on this, but 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 about four days of him running away from them and injured, how do they not find his trail and like run him down? Basically, right. and. John, who is the one um, posting about this, is kind of saying maybe it's because the Pharaoh soldiers, with their disgust for old blood, after the dog is killed, the bond partner, do they not have any more use for the tracker? Or did the tracker, you know, probably in his despair, not become useful or anything like that? Right. So they lose that ability. And I, I do agree with that. Uh, maybe not killing him or anything, but he didn't become, he's not much use in his grief. Right. Is one big thing. Two Night Eyes, if you remember, did savage a lot of the dogs that they had brought to track as well. So he, he went in the horses and the dogs and scattered and injured as much as he could. He was harrying them and laying false trails as much as he could to draw them away from Fitz. And the other ones is he was kind of making a nightmare for the soldiers, too. If they have injured soldiers, if they have injured horses to take care of, it slows Mm -hmm. them down so much. They are in foreign territory. And John also kind of question marks, wouldn't Fitz be bleeding here? And I think it's so cold that his blood would be frozen. And after a certain time, it's just like... No trail besides his tracks with the wolf, and that could either easily be missed or snowstorms or something. Or the soldiers just gave up and turned around because they're not trying to start a full war yet. Right. <laughs> That's for and, Regal to do. And the arrow is poisoned. So is it? Yeah, they have to like get the poison out of Fitz's back. I think that's because of infection, not Oh yeah, that, I that's from like four okay. days of not having it clean kind of thing. And oh. it being like lodged in bone. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think it was like actual poison. I think it was, it was more just like, like Okay. Infection. Not quite sepsis, but like you know, like Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. no, no. You know, something real bad. Yuck. Yeah. So I guess I was going to say if they poisoned the arrows and they know he got hit, they were probably like, it's fine. They they could do that whole like mustache twirling villain crony thing like, oh, yeah, we definitely killed him. We shot him in his back. <laughs> no way right. he's surviving that one, boss. And then he comes back and 20 and minutes Regal later. And Regal is like, I told you to bring me the body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't know. See, that's the only problem I have with this theory, too, is that. Regal wouldn't accept defeat. No, yeah. That's so I don't know if they don't recognize that they're going to die at the hands of Regal for failing him or if they like maybe died of the conditions out looking for fits. I don't really know, but we've we've seen. Well, well, first of all, I I do want to say that uh, we do get note of. 
a town being attacked in the mountain village because the healer has to go or the mountain kingdom, excuse me, because the healer has to go tend to those wounded. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if it's the same group of soldiers. They just kind of ran into scouts or something in the mountain kingdom and there was a battle there. But the other thing I want to say is the bring me the body thing we've already seen with the coterie. Mm -hmm. They assumed he died to the poison blade that he cut across his own arm. Right. He didn't, obviously, because the poison was (laughs) deadened by so many years being inert. No, from him using it on other people. And yeah, and using it on other people and everything like that. So there was like nothing, nothing stopping him there. The Coterie assumed and bad things happened. But that seems like a localized incident and wouldn't be advertised around because it was secretive. Right. So the soldiers might in their own mind be like hey, we can do the same thing because there's no way it will come back to haunt us. Right, right. Pharaoh soldiers don't seem to be very smart in general. (laughs) That's fair. I just feel like because Regal is so upset about Fitz and like is so like, I want to burn the body myself. I'm not letting this happen a third time. He wouldn't accept it. And he would be very verbal about like, bring me the body or you failed me. Maybe why that, that maybe that's why possibly those soldiers went like, okay, we'll bring another victory to him then. So right. maybe we don't die and they go attack this village or something. Yeah, that could be it. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like Regal is known to not be forgiving. Right. right. So ugh, I don't know. I don't know. Good question though. Yeah. But either way, John, thank you for the question. I think, I think it, yes, it was a tremendous struggle for him to go to Jean Pei and not get tracked down. But I think there were some explanations why they wouldn't follow or why he could not get tracked. Right. And that was mainly because tracker partner, dad, he's probably sick with grief and either not useful at all or the soldiers turned on him. The soldiers' dogs themselves are no longer (laughs) functioning. I don't know if they would kill a witted one without Regal's permission, as gross as that is to say. That that is 100% true. They'd probably just bring him back to the circle. Of like, you failed. And then they can blame it on him, I guess. Yeah. It's his fault. He turned on us. He killed our dogs, too. I don't know. They're not exactly the most courageous people. No. Thank you so much for asking those questions. Yeah. We always enjoy hearing your guys' points of view and also the questions that you guys come up with. It gives us more to think on. So thank you. 